Thanks for downloading this podcast from Brum Radio. For more programs, search our podcast page at brumradio.com. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Where the hell did you get that idea, Hal? Dave, although you took very thorough precautions in the pod against my hearing you, I could see your lips move. All right, Hal. I'll go in through the emergency airlock. Without your space helmet, Dave, you're going to find that rather difficult. Hal, I won't argue with you anymore. Open the doors. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Hal? 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 Hello everyone and welcome. Welcome to the Screen Brum Show here on Brum Radio. It is Friday. We don't have a clock, so I'm guessing it's 12 o'clock. I hope it is about 12 o'clock or a little bit after that. Here uh, in the heart of Birmingham in Digbeth, uh, the United Kingdom, for the Screen Brum Show. We've been off air for a couple of weeks, or our live show has been off air for a couple of weeks. So we're very glad to be back. And I'm here in the company of Mr. Tim Wilson. Hello, Tim. Hello. We're in new digs here. We, we are. We're in temporary accommodation, uh, which means everything's slightly odd for us, slightly creaky. can hear your chair going a bit there, so apologies if you're having that, but we are uh, We're having a refurb. The whole building is being made snazzy and brand new. Yeah. So we're currently temporary accommodation, but you don't really need to know that, do you? Because we're still going to produce all the quality radio that you have come to expect. All the quality radio might be with added drill. Added drill, um, if and added maybe rolls of, of chair, but who knows? But we it's, are. It's here. like a film soundtrack, all of its own, isn't it? It is a very, uh, a very atmospheric film set in a <laughs> in an old warehouse. Um, anyway, what are we here to do here? Well, we're here on the Screen Brum Show. Screen Brum is a show where we talk about everything with a screen. So we talk about film, we talk about TV, computer games, uh, Kindles, books, um, phones, anything really with a screen and the stuff that is on it. Each week we choose a theme and we talk about what we know about that through the film. And this week's our theme is what, Mr Wilson? The year. Not the film, even though the start might have given you that. Yeah. The year is 2001. 2001. So, of course, what we played earlier on was uh, the theme tune 
to 2001, the uh, fantastic also Sprach Zarathustra by Richard Strauss, which Very I'm well sure done. many of you know. That was good. That was good. I've got some other c- pronunciation fails coming up on the show, yeah, I promise I've you. I've given you some. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, and um, we're going to be playing some great music from the year, and we're going to be talking about the film. And during that, we're going to be doing our top five each, our favourite film and TV from 2001. So 2001... Um, not not a vintage year, really, was it, Tim? Yes, it was a very vintage. Okay, year. okay. <laughs> I, 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 you were saying. I think when we did we did nineteen ninety one a few months ago, and I and you were saying not a great year, and I said yes, it's a great year. <laughs> well, there you are. We, we will, we'll just, but we want to know what you think. Do you think it was a great year? What were you doing in two thousand and one? What films were you watching? What films were you enjoying? Were so, you still working at Boots in two thousand and one? I was not working in Boots. I was a lot older than that. Two thousand and one was the year I bought my first. House. That's the thing that uh, the stress oh, stays with me. No, I was not working in boots then. Um, and uh, yes, 2001 was a year I watched a lot of very bad films um, and a few good ones as well. Um, and uh, we're going to be looking for your contribution. So do send us a tweet. If you're on Twitter, you can tweet us at Scream Brum. Unfortunately, Donald Trump was temporarily taken off Twitter today. Uh, um, so if Donald Trump is listening, hopefully you're back on and you can. You're very welcome to tweet us what your favourite films of 2001 were. So that's Lovely. at Screen Brum, or you can visit us on Facebook. If you go to Facebook and search for Screen Brum, you can find out some more. So let's um, let's kick off with a little bit more music, and then we're going to get into the film. So do let us know, as I say, let us know what your favourites were. And we're going to be playing some great tracks from the year. And we're going to be starting off with this one um, from... Uh, well, it may be one of your top tens. Let's have a look. There we are. A little less conversation. That is obviously Mr. Elvis. Definitely Aaron not a prompt Presley. for us, then. Sorry? Not a prompt for us, then. A little less conversation. A little less conversation in the studio here yeah, in the background. Yeah. We have got, uh, as well as Tim Wilson, we have uh, Paul Hadsley of Paul Hadsley's Happy Talk here in the studio as well. But he doesn't have a microphone, so he can't do anything. <laughs> Um, so yes, that was a little less conversation. The Elvis Presley, the uh, original track from the Ocean's Eleven soundtrack, which was uh, a 2001 release. Steven Soderbergh's. He did. I think he did two sequels. Three. Three sequels. Oh no, sorry, he did two. There's two sequels. And there films. is a there is a remake, a female fronted remake, in the works. I believe. I'm not sure if he's actually filming at the moment, but I believe I there is another that. one coming along. Um, and uh, that one had uh, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Matt Damon, Andy Garcia, who's wicked in it. Andy Garcia, and uh, he's, he's so good in and it. oh, who is it who does that terrible English accent in it? Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle, yeah. That's quite something. He goes, oh, go blimey, Gavnor, I'm a, I'm a criminal with no mistake. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you, may, you may enjoy uh, Ocean's Eleven, and, and you're absolutely it's, fine. It's legitimate to do so. It's yeah, it fun. is great fun. I think the, 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 the sequel, I particularly seem to remember the sequel being really bad, but I might, I might just be 13 was all right, though. 13 was, was, was much better. Much better than 12. But yeah. Ocean's Eleven, yes, get on to that. That's 2001. Uh, is that one of your top fives? I haven't no. spoilt it. Good. Um, so yeah, so Soderbergh might be back later. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. I've given it away. He was in. He was you'll, in. You'll be IMDBing it now, and you'll know. Oh, you'll probably know what I'm mentioning. So anyway, 2001. What were you up to? In I that was year? graduating from Manchester University with a degree in history, going on to Warwick to do my postgraduate in early modern history. So oh. yeah, I was. Uh, it was happy times. Going to the cinema a lot. A heck of a lot. It was the year I got my Cineworld card. Ooh. Sorry, UGC. It was UGC back then. Okay. That was when I got my unlimited card. Was it was nine pounds ninety nine. 
a month. Now it's seventeen ninety nine. So work out inflation since twenty. That's still not bad. It's yeah, nine ninety nine a month. Yeah, limited films. But films were about three I quid ago. I had a limited card for sixteen. Yeah, <laughs> that's quite. It's a pity it doesn't it doesn't record all of your of your films. It'd be quite nice to go back. That'd and, be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, because what I did in I remember my two thousand and one cinema going activities was. Um, I had this, it was a relatively short-lived plan, because it, didn't, it wasn't very good, of I would go to the cinema on the way home from work and just see whatever film was starting next. I would never plan. I didn't know what it was. And the rule was, whatever it was, regardless of whether it was something I wanted to see, um, I would go. And the problem was I just saw lots of, you know, Lake well, Placid. Well, I did the same thing, because I used to work up at, up at that, that part of the world. I used to work at the Chamber of Commerce in the mid noughties So I used to, on the way back go to Cineworld or UGC or whatever it was called back into that back mid noughties and I used to see everything. Like everything. Yeah. And you know, even if it was bad. So I have some I have good and bad memories. We've know? we've had quite a few contributions from people suggesting that uh, that two thousand and one was not a, a cracking year for cinema. Um you know, Tim is going to disagree violently with that, I'm sure. Yes. Um <laughs> We've had, uh, and thank you for your tweets, we have got a, uh, a tweet in from Alex Connor who said we're going to need more egg boxes, so he's obviously hurt hearing something, and Feathers and Wings, hello, you're also talking about it, the the others, the breed, and Jeepers, Jeepers Creepers. Creepers, they're all pretty spooky ones, the others, that was a Nicole Kidman, a really creepy ghost story, I remember really enjoying that. Yeah, I really enjoyed the others as well, it wasn't, um, who, um, what's his face? Uh, James Bond was in that. No, yes, um, he was, wasn't he? Yes, Eric Sykes. Eric, Eric Sykes, Sykes was, was yeah. in that. Eric Sykes was my um, was my was friend of my granddad. I met Eric Sykes once. He was very nice. He never had any um, glasses in those glasses. They were those glasses were actually for he, uh, helping him hear, not helping him see. Yeah. So they are a little it bit was of directed a, by um, uh, what's his face uh, Alejandro. Amenabar. Yeah. That's really difficult to do. Yeah, this was the start of the kind of um, yeah. boom in Mexican directors, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, there was they a, all sort of Inaritu and mm. all those guys started to come to end. And, Alphonse and, uh, Cuaron. And, of course, it was a year Itu Mama Tambien, which, is, um, so, which isn't in my five, but is an honourable mention for later. But, yeah, he, he did. Uh, he went on to... Do, he went on to do Vanilla Sky, the remake of Abuelas Oljos. I'm really struggling. I'm not Spanish. I don't do Spanish, but, you know. But the uh, Vanilla Sky was another 2001 release. Yeah. So um, that may be on your list. Let's start with our top fives. And we want to hear yours. So thank you, Feathers and Wings, for um, The Breed, was it? I've not seen that one. But um, The Others and Jeepers Creepers. I've seen both of those. I haven't seen The Breed either. Yeah. It's like confession on my part. Jeepers Creepers is one that's had multiple sequels as well I think there's another one coming out on that as well um, but I do remember that one being quite creepy having a fantastically creepy opening as I recall anyway this, this is a year of big franchise launches well, well that we'll, is we'll the thing those, we will definitely will yeah, yeah. there's been uh, and um, in terms of the year itself um, there were some good things there was the equalisation of the age of consent in the UK um, there was um, a football match where England beat Germany 5-1 you I may remember re- that match really well. Oh, I do. Um, the, the the wreckage of the Bluebird, which was the you know the boat uh, for the land sp- for the for the speed record that that crashed. Um, the world's fastest Indian film was made about it uh, on Coniston Water was recovered. Uh, Eden Project was opened. 
Really? Was it, it, it feels like it's a lot older. Than I know, that. I know. Um, and there was also a general election in the United Kingdom, which, uh, again, it seems to sort of pass <laughs> passed me by don't remembering think, that year. I remember there was an election. It was. It was a, there was a second landslide for, for the Labour Party um, yeah. in 2011, and, and um, it was the year David Cameron got uh, elected into Parliament as well. Um, and my, my unlimited card's gone on longer than he has <laughs> as an MP. <laughs> there we go. Uh, um, that's there a we good go. fact, isn't it? It's probably... I'm, no, I'm not going to make any political comments. Um, and, uh, of course... <laughs> no politics in screen. No, but there is, there, is, there is something, obviously, that happened. It is a bit of a, of a big thing that happened in the year we can't avoid, which is 9-11, yeah. of course. Uh, and uh, after that, the, Af- the invasion of Afghanistan, which are obviously, you know, huge, significant impacts. And, and in the world of film, as in real life, they've obviously stayed very significant um, but that was obviously you know the back end of the year so you know often it's hard to to think about a year which has such awful things in it as as anything other than grim um, but we'll try and do that we'll try and do that we'll try and bring some more positivity in i'm going to bring some positivity in now with some music this is from i suspect very strongly suspect one of tim's films of the year um, he has been uh, angling for us to play some music from this soundtrack and uh, we have played some from it before but it is marvellous so we're going to do it again uh, and this is The Waltz of the Monsters by Jan Tiersen and it's the soundtrack from Amelie uh, The Waltz of the Monsters um, from uh, Amelie or I think Amelie from Montmartre was the original name The Fabulous Destin Ah, now that was uh, a fantastic film of the year (laughs) and it may well be one of our top fives but let's start with our top fives now and I'm going to to begin and I'm going to change my order because it's already been mentioned Uh, and it is one of my favourites absolutely could be the top number one favourite of the year Yi Tu Mama Tambien now this is uh, the um, the English translation of that is And Your Mother Too, Your mother too. Um, and it is a fantastic film by directed by Alfonso Cuaron um, my favourite director um, yes I mean he's gone on to direct uh, Harry Potter films and uh, Gravity of course the fantastic uh, George Clooney and um, the best Harry Potter film Children of Men. Children of See, Men I'm is an amazing. Well, I've lots of controversial statements in that one. No, he's but um, but this was a film where he he'd already started a, a Hollywood career by this point, um, and he'd done Great Expectations and uh, and other films as well. But he wanted to make. He described this as the film he wanted to make when he was at uh, uh, film school, um, and it, this was him obviously going back to to Mexico. He's a Mexican director. It's a Mexican film, and it's and it's filmed in quite a a documentary style. There's none of the kind of pizzazz of a hollywood movie the f- the um you know the filters and the uh, the fades and, and all of that kind of stuff it's, it's quite stark in the way it's directed um and um it's very different obviously to to the things he would do with harry potter and with gravity later on um, the story itself if you if you haven't seen the film it's a it's a coming of age slash road trip two teenagers played by um future megastars Gael Garcia Bernal and also Diego Luna who was in the most recent Star Wars well, film what, two great actors two great actors um, both very young in the film and they go on and it's it's they go on a road trip with uh, an older woman um, and it's very much a a frank depiction of of adolescence sex and drugs and the beauty of an older woman and the and the glamour and the excitement of, of someone who has experience of the world but it's also beautifully shot with beautiful, gorgeous scenery, beautiful um, 
landscape of, of Mexico is lovely. And it's against the backdrop. It's set in the year 1999, which was a year of, of political upheaval in Mexico and, and a change of, of government um, and, and also social change that's going on as well. And it, and it depicts that all happening in the background and in a way that, that teenagers and uh, are, these things are happening in the background. You're barely acknowledging them because, you know, your hormones. Um, but that's the way that the film is layered on. So it feels like it's very much from that perspective of a teenager. Um, and it's, it's fantastic. Uh, there's a kind of aching nature to it. It's, it's, it's sad, but also uh, very, feels very true to life for me as well. So that is Blake's number five in the uh, top five of 2001, Mama Tambien, um, which was um, perhaps not um, a mainstream movie in the sense that it's a, a foreign language one and everything, but uh, a fantastic film and um, still holds up fantastically today. I take it you've seen it, Tim. I have it. I have it on DVD rack at home. Ah. Does that mean you've seen it, though? I didn't see it when it came out on its initial release, but I saw it on DVD subsequently. Yeah. And... Um, it's a beautiful film, That's and great. Uh, classically, you know, you, when you want, when you're going back and watching Coran's backdrop, you you realise there's a kind of it almost feels like a, I don't know if it's anything autobiographical to it, but as you say, he said it's a film he wanted to make when he was at college. Mm. Um, yeah, I I think you know it, it it works as a road movie. The other thing that's notable is its soundtrack is ace. Mm. There's um it's, there's there's all sorts of wonderful things in there, whether it's Brian Eno, whether it's um, Frank Zappa's Watermelon and Easter Hay. Um, I was going to play that actually, but it's about uh, it's nine, nine minutes, minutes long. long yeah, yeah. Um, and all sorts of uh, Latin music, which I don't know the names of, but mm. you know, it has a real flavour, and it ha- you know, and you can tell why it did really, really well on international audiences. It, it is romantic, it is evocative, it is um, explicit mm-hmm. as well. It, it it does provoke, and I know that Sense has probably had a huge issue with its rating, um, but at the same time, it's. Um, it's, yes, great. Mm. Yeah, it's an honourable mention. I, I, I don't know why it's not in my five, but it could have been. Yeah. Well, in, any, it, in any other year, it could have been. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Perhaps the, the lack of, of sort of real nailed-on classic films in the year um, that everyone knows about has led me to be a little bit more, to look around a little bit more for things that I thought, actually, no, I've forgotten that I'd seen this. I mean, obviously, this was a big one. I think he had an Oscar nomination if he didn't win one. But um, great performances as well from Gail Garcia Bernal and uh, Diego Luna, who have both um, gone on to do fantastic things as well. So it has been all round a bit of a triumph, that film. So um, I'm hoping we get approval on that one. 100%. So let us know what you think. So, Tim, what about you? Have you got a... Uh, Oh, number five. I hope you have. I hope I have. Got to get to number one. Mm. Uh, my number five is uh, Steven Soderbergh's Traffic. Traffic. <sighs> I forgot about this film. Is this it's brilliant? Could, yeah, it's brilliant. It it lost out. I think it lost out unfairly to Gladiator in the Oscar in the Oscar nod. I mean, Gladiator was kind of like total rabble rousing. You know, great film, and you know, it's an honourable mention again of that year. Um, this is perhaps Steven Soderbergh's most ambitious film, I think, from the point of view. It has a kind of a Robert Altman-esque quality to it, and in that it's got a, it has an almost documentary-esque film. I love the way the film is shot and colours, representing where people are, the oranges, representing yeah. Latin America. Again, this is this is this is a this is a stark. Um, visceral uh, portrayal of um, U- US drug wars. Um, it's actually a remake of a, uh, of a TV series, BBC TV series of, I think it's either BBC, or certainly a British one, of the 80s. Um, 
uh, which uh, yeah, not many people know about, but it was actually a, yeah, it's actually a remake. There you go. Did you know that? No. Excellent. Um, I win. One for you there, mate. <laughs> so there are three stories that are unfolding uh, simultaneously in the film. Um, you've got one story, which is Michael Douglas plays a um, a Supreme Court judge. He discovers that his daughter is a jun- a junkie, and a daughter, by the way, deserves special mention. She is an, an actress called Erica Christensen, um, who is remarkable in the film mm. um, and plays a junkie in Rapid Decline. Uh, you've got a second storyline, which is my favourite storyline, uh, with Benicio del Toro um, playing one of two cops who work, who are working the the border between Mexico and the USA, and um, running a, a whole sort of bunch of, um, for want of a better word, a whole bunch of betrayals with drug cartels. Um, and the third is set in uh, in wealthy Californian suburb in San Diego. And it follows um, Catherine Zeta-Jones, who's also amazing in this. Yes. yes Staggeringly good. Um, she's playing a, effectively a pregnant uh, wife of a... a she basically... Um, she a, learns a, drug, a lot. A drug baron she? husband. She but she doesn't... I think she doesn't... She rea- doesn't know. Um, and then the film is her kind of realising what, yeah. what he actually does. And she's, she's avenging the arrest of her drug baron husband to star. And it... it each story is just fabulous. Um, and I think um, one of my... I think that drug, I think one of the things that the film doesn't shy away on is the idea that drugs... Um, that, that it doesn't hide away from the taking of drugs, what it does, what the impact of drugs has in every aspect of the drug, in, drug industry. And it, mm-hmm. I think in 2017, I think it'll be a... It's a film that stands so true to today and it still stands strong and nothing has actually changed. Mm. Uh, <laughs> all three stories could still be told quite accurately now. Mm. Um, it's a film, if you watch uh, Sicaro, Denis Villeneuve's Sicaro, um, which is similarly about the, the drug trade across the war, the, the, the border in Mexico, it feels like that uh, Sicaro owes a lot to, yeah. to it, in, in not just the, the content, but the way it looks as well. That's sort of slightly washed out appearance it has yeah when i saw that i thought the same thing i thought that that the film does oh yeah that that is clearly traffic is a big influence and traffic has been a huge influence on a lot of that style i think it's a very good film and um deserve, deserved all the plaudits of that year mm. um i totally forgot that it came out well um so that's a, a, a would have been on my list i think so um, i remember seeing it at the cinema and walking being one of those ones that i walked Sort of directly out of the cinema, around the corner to the local record shop, and bought the soundtrack because uh, it had a fantastic atmospheric soundtrack. Who it's by now escapes me. Do you have that knowledge? Who the soundtrack is by? Uh, it is a, 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 a big name. It's not Clint Mansell, is it? No, it's not Clint Mansell. It's too early for that. But um, it's, it is actually too early for that. Isn't yeah, it? it's, it's Cliff Martinez. Sorry, Cliff Martinez. That's yeah, right. Yeah. That makes sense. That because he was a, he's a regular collaborator. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I strongly recommend that. I'm actually going to dig one out. Um, so there we are. We've both done our top fives. Um, ye, we're both having to try our, our Spanish pronunciations for Yitu Mama Tambien and uh, traffic. Um, and um, fantastic choices they are too. I'm going to play something now, though, that um, if you're feeling a little bit depressed by the slightly heavy sound of that film, this one should cheer you up. There we are. That was, uh, if you're not familiar with it, that's the Merry Men from Shrek, which was another of 2001's... Uh, 
high points really uh, many sequels but um, we forget how brilliant it was when it came out and remains great music as vincent castle there as one of the characters singing uh, from uh, shrek the animated uh, film with um, mike myers what happened to him and um, cameron diaz as well so uh, that's another one if it's on your list it certainly Donkey. gets yeah um, that was a bad attempt, that's sorry. it that's uh, what's his name isn't it uh, eddie murphy, eddie murphy. In that, and I think there's been about three, three sequels and various uh, spin-offs. Um, but yeah, the original is the best. Shrek Two is good too. Shrek Two, Shrek Four is good as well. Uh, Shrek Three less so. But, the third, uh, not so good. Um, but uh, you know, when you have kids, you get to see a lot of these films a lot of times. Um, um, right, we're going to uh, play another trap because that one's quite short, and I want you to introduce this one, Tim. Okay. Because this is one of your choices. This is Chop Suey by System of A Down. System of Adown. System of Down. System of the Down. System of Down were the metal band of the early early one of the metal bands of the early noughties. Um, they are uh, they have an Eastern European flavour to their music, um, being as they are Ukrainian, um, and uh, they bring a a sprightly jolly quality and a kind of if you were a fan of Faith No More, and you like the kind of Mike Patton esque approach to vocals, if you like Mike Patton, uh, this is a very this is a very fun song. And what film is it from? It's not from a film. It, um, what? This has changed everything, but we're going to play it anyway, and then we're going to find out what film it's from. We'll find something. I, all my other choices are. This is, this is Tim's metal choice. <laughs> okay, uh, if you're not a metal fan, now's the time to go and get a cup of tea. Well, open your mind. Open your mind. Well, personally, I don't think angels deserve to die, um, but uh, the system of A Down... Think so. That's Chop Suey, and we have not been able to identify a film of the year that it came out. It did appear in um, a film called a TV series called The Challenge from 2002. So, uh, and it was also uh, in the MTV Music Awards Latin America of 2002. Uh, and of course, um, they were also on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4 video game, but not with that track. Anyway. There was a film called Chop Suey we've also discovered that came out in 2001. Paul deserves credit for finding that. Uh, and uh, and slightly less happy news was that it was it was the number one uh, single at the time of the 9-11 uh, attacks. So uh, there we go. Chop Suey, System of a Down. Um, so there we are. Tim is uh, satisfied. His metal thirst has been slaked. This is, this is becoming a regular theme when we have the... Uh, when it's just the two of us and we end up picking soundtracks. That there seems to be a metal track that seems to find its way into uh, each of our podcasts. Yeah, but I'm, I'm happy to, to uh, offset it with uh, some nice jolly stuff from Shrek. So, I think that's a nice balance, actually. <coughs> yes. I, I think that's good. Uh, that's what everyone needs in their life. Um, so let us continue with uh, number... Uh, four. Now, what I'm going to do with number four is a little bit of a of, of a sort of symbolic one rather than the thing itself, and that is The Office. BBC uh, TV's series began in in 2001. We almost believe it was earlier than that, but it was. That was the the series. Only two series were made, and I think in a Christmas special as well. Um, and I thought long and hard about whether to include this one because because of kind of what Ricky Gervais subsequently became um I, I feel it's been slightly um you know sort of tarnished this and 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 we perhaps don't look back on it as as innovative and uh, kind of um defining as it was 
but it was incredibly influential. It was yeah. something that changed it. So I'm sure many people listening will know The Office. It was a, a mockumentary, and the word mock does not mean uh, mocking. It means uh, ersatz, fake. So it's, it's a spoof documentary uh, about a an office uh, in, in Slough, uh, in the south of England, and the people that live there, you know, and that is or work there, and that is pretty much it. But um, they obviously had been uh, this type of, of, of mockumentary before. Obviously, Spinal Tap is the kind of um, the classic of those, which even that wasn't an original. But what was different about The Office was uh, the 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 circumstance, the setting was always part of the joke in those other ones. Whereas this one, the setting is as mundane as possible, an office that everyone recognised characters that everyone recognized and the comedy and the humor came from the characters uh, exclusively rather than the setting uh, and that painful recognition it's also launched many many careers of course Ricky Gervais uh, being one of them but also um, uh, Martin Freeman later on to to be in many films including The Hobbit which also started this year in a manner of speaking um, was in it and also Mackenzie uh, Crook and um it's been and Stephen Merchant and Stephen Merchant, and um, it's been a f- it's it's a. If you look now, how many f- uh, TV programs in particular wouldn't exist without it? You know, you're looking at things like there's a, there's a mockumentary called "People Just Do Mo- Nothing" uh, on uh, BBC Three, which is very very good and very much in the same vein. Um, and Parks and Recreation, Modern Family, they have that. Looking at the camera, the whole you know now we now we have the phrase side eye uh, of this idea of you know somebody just looking over at the camera when they're in an absurd situation um, is come from from this type of program. So and very much the office was started all off. So the the office because I think it's hugely important um, from that year um, and it was very 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 funny as well, which uh, is always a bonus for an influential TV comedy. So there you are. I you know, I know that um, you know, perhaps age hasn't been really, really great for that program, but um I'm still holding it up as a, one of the one of the great comedies of the last twenty years and um and certainly a very high watermark for two thousand and one. So do we have agreement in the studio? Do we have agreement with you at home? If you do agree or disagree don't forget to tweet us at Screen Brum. But what do you think, Tim? You've got, you're pulling a face here, like you're not sure. Not sure. I think it were. I think it's um, in terms of its, uh, you know, impact and its influence and its. Um, yeah, it's interesting looking back now because it is. It just. It, it. We were. We were saying. Was it really only two thousand and one? Wasn't it out longer ago? Mm. But you realise subsequently the number of things that have been influenced by it, or the, if nothing else, the style yeah. of it. As you were talking about modern, modern family, and I was talking. Yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah. Even even stuff like the thick of it kind of has a certain. Even though I know Yanucci was around then and was uh, it, it, the style of setting in an office or the style of setting in relatively mundane places and show and just showcasing people being buffoons. Yeah. Or being not buffoonery. Um, yeah. What what it, what it does as well is it has these because it has these cutaways where we, you know we interview people and, and that's obviously a staple of the documentary genre where they see people that thing of. You know, so much comedy being mined from people, you know, as we all would do in that situation, will desperately try and say something clever, witty, say something, you know, withering, whatever it may be, and and just how easy it is for that to sound absurd when taken out of context. Uh, and they do that so well with those little talking heads that just 
bring those characters to life so I think most recently 2012 and W1A and programs like that which clearly owe everything to the office is a way of being mm. you know um, but I, I do think also that the difference between the office and something like W1A is that the, the characters in W1A are much more buffoony, buffoonery and silly yeah. whereas they, they do play people who you might think are actually relatable and normal people mm. you actually would see in an office yeah. so when you do have the Christmas special and you do have the romance between um, Martin Freeman and I've forgotten the other name of the actress I don't know. She was in recent Wonder Woman as well. I've forgotten yeah, her name. Um, and you, by the time of that, that that Christmas special, you're actually emotionally invested in those characters. Mm. And of course, and that's why it was good to go out on a high and yeah. go out after season two. And well, they did. He did recently bring character David Brent back for a film as well. The film, which was very self-indulgent. Yeah, as I say, it, um, as you say, it was self-contained at the, the time. The actual trailer was very funny, you know. And they actually did the release, and he did the film, he did the music, and that that was itself was actually quite funny. But they were actually bringing out the funniest thing in. The, in it I yeah um, and, and of course uh, the American um, remake which was you know one of those <laughs> rare occurrences which in many ways surpassed the original um, yeah. and it certainly you know it added to it and was not in any way a kind of pay limitation it was brilliant and went on for a lot longer and did other interesting things with the characters and again launched some, some big careers so you know a cultural phenomenon really The Office and, um, you know, and it does feel older than 17 years it feels like it's been and that's possibly because of the weight of all the stuff it's brought with it so there we have it Blake's number four The Office BBC original Office UK I think if you're finding it if you're you're looking for it online I think it's called that because the American version was called the same and in many ways as I say surpassed it certainly had about 10 series or something in it I think Idris Elba was in it for a while as well and um, crazy yeah Um, so there we go that is it Um, so Tim do you have a number Yes, it's not a. T- it's back to film. Good. Um, this is a special. You talk about you know in two thousand and one not being a great year for film. I I I would say that this time of year about this time of year sixteen years ago started a trilogy of films that would I think uh, transform uh, our, our sort of in, in a nature of what a blockbuster film should be. And I think uh, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, needs to be in the five. Um, uh, it's something about event cinema, and now you know Star Wars have tried to take this on, you know, by releasing the Last Jedi in in, in a few weeks' time, right? Mm. Uh, and um, it takes on that kind of trying to do that majesty of a big Christmas release. The all three of these films were the Christmas thing to look forward to, the release of the Christmas film you go and see, and the majesty, the spectacle, the sheer scale and ambition of these films. Um, still stand up and look amazing even now. Um, so entering that world of Middle Earth, entering what uh, Peter Jackson managed to create and what he managed to evoke and the iconic characters that he managed to bring in that first episode, um, I can't not put this into my five. I, I, whether it's the three-hour version or the one hundred or the three-hour 48, 48 version that you watch on DVD, mm. um, sitting there with a large large cup of tea, <laughs> uh, whatever you need to get through it. Um, I remember when this, this year I remember taking booking the day off work about six months in advance when the release, as soon as the release date was announced booking the, the day off work to, to go and see it and then I couldn't go because I was getting a sofa delivered and the sofa never turned up. I, I also remember being. I also remember being scared. I thought the film was very dark. Mm. 
I think it, it pushed the boundaries of what it, it was a PG on release, not mm. a twelve A. You know, um, it pushed the boundaries of what twelve A you can of so what a PG film can give you. The other thing is, I just think it feels like the biggest like show playground that you can ever get. Oh, I mean, it, it's just so big. It, it, you know, the scale of the battles, um, mm. and even the first film. You know, you know, I know it gets much bigger by the time of Two Towers and the Battle of Helm's Deep, mm. and all of those things are amazing. But you know, you got introduced to this world. Uh, and that, and also Howard Shaw, mm-hmm. the soundtrack, that evocative theme. Um, it's an unqualified triumph, man. More, you know, and that's what you wanted. By the time you got to the end of that ending, which is uncharacteristically not blockbuster, that ending. No, you were shouting out more. I can't wait for two towers. This is going to be. This is well, great. It, it, it had the benefit, which is which is also something very famously that, that the Empire Strikes Back had of. You know, everyone knowing that there was another one coming and another one coming quite soon, so it could have that ending that felt like it was a chapter ending rather than a, a you know, attempting to wrap it up as a film in itself. I have to admit um, to being slightly disappointed with it when it came out. I've reappraised it since. My expectations were so high, it didn't. I don't know quite why, but it didn't quite hit all the marks for me. It felt slightly at the time like it was. Um, I don't know, going through the, going quite safely through the beats. Um, it didn't surprise me too much. And, I, and that might be ridiculous because I absolutely adored the next two. Both of them brilliant. And I look back at it now and I think it's great. And it still looks, as you say, fantastic. They had... They designed some some software for these battle scenes where they could animate hundreds of, of thousands of people uh, and have these incredible. I love how they just deposit just, people. Yeah, room for. <laughs> um, and, and and it was it was something we'd seen earlier with um, with the Star Wars one. I'd done it really badly, in my opinion. Um, it just looked phenomenal, uh, and as you say, it really kind of evoked that massiveness. And um, bearing in mind, obviously, it had a, such a built-in audience, a built-in expectation. You're right, it did do it spectacularly. But it also delivered something else, which, as you say, is event cinema. And did that- it with... Um, but also, you, you actually invest in those characters. You know, you, you, know, you, think, you think back to Sean Bean and Viggo Mortensen and those films. You know, they really invest in their, mm. in their predicaments and um, the power of death in that film just the power of even the deaths were big mm-hmm. you know and the, you know the the scale and the the sort of the odds and the way so that big. the way that the, the ring it's itself as the film should it's how the book should yeah, be yeah, you know, that's how yeah. i always feel about it yeah you know yeah. I, I i you know I, I go back to people who've read the book no oh, they've missed this and they haven't done that you know it's the same issue i have with people who read the harry potters mm. and they criticize the films for missing things i'm like you can't cover everything in a film um but what you can do is create a world and make it big and make it like you can invest in it and that's i don't think there's been much that's been beaten you know it's so good, uh, so good. to me it was beaten by as i say the well, subsequent the two films yeah, the subsequent yeah, okay. two films but that they um because obviously with the with the uh, the two towers what we what we didn't get in the fellowship of the ring which i think perhaps is the thing that not the others up to that ever is we didn't get Gollum. Gollum doesn't appear in that one. Until we don't the first start of the next, one. and then in the next one we see him, and, and that was a mo. Oh my god! The things they can do with CGI uh, yeah. that changed everything. And everyone loves Gollum in his own way, don't everyone, we? We, we, we have a sort of love hate. We've never seen it. anything like that. No. We've never seen a character that was computer generated like that. That was 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 emotional and 
and fascinating and human, even though it wasn't human. It was it was it was fantastic. He wasn't in the Fellowship of the Ring, and that's possibly why it's slightly down on the ratings for me. But because Gollum's not in it, exactly. That's a fair point. Um, well, yeah, well, he's not in it close up anyway. Um, so a little bit of a spoiler there if you haven't seen it. But obviously, we like to think that most he of you the precious have. and he didn't get it. He did. Sorry, and, and the, the ring itself, you know, the character of the ring is, is brilliantly evoked. Isn't it? Again, the, the sound, Howard Shaw's music, it has a kind of voice of its own and it has an appearance yeah, of its every own. Every time I think of the ring, I think of that very tweeted picture of George W. Bush. Um, there's a picture of uh, there's a picture of uh, a, a, a ring and George Bush reaching out for the ring. Oh, <laughs> yes, it was. It, <laughs> you remember that fantastically <laughs> sinister, brilliant, brilliant way that they did that with the ring and, and, and gave some almost amount of weight to it. There's a scene early on in the film when when uh, Frodo drops the ring, uh, and apparently what they did was they had a very strong magnet under the floor, so it go it falls very fast and clunk like that, and it has a real appearance of weight despite being just an ordinary small ring it, it feels and looks really heavy and i think they did a lot of good work in that film bringing the you know bringing what's essentially just a piece of jewelry uh, into being a character i so, just remember the, the sort of even the evil and ian holmes face you know is fr- terrifying is, yeah terrifying scene uh, let's have some music from it let's have something from from howard pick, shaw's really. soundtrack and i'm going to go with the black rider and this is from the fellowship of the ring There we go, the Black Rider from Harrod Shaw's amazing score for, um, well, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and there's um, obviously three full scores he did, and you can still... Recently there was something on at Mosley Park where you could see each of the films with a live orchestra. Oh, wow. Which would have been amazing. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it that year, but that time, but uh, I'd recommend uh, keeping an eye out for those live performances with orchestras. There's more and more of those happening these days and I'm, I've never been to one but I'm quite intrigued by the idea particularly of something which has got an impressive oh. score like that I just want to turn up and do a McKellen you know just go that's all you need to do you know just that, if you, I don't know if you Whoa. ever walking every time yeah you just you just learnt you learnt little Ian McKellen affectations, didn't you? It's like oh and he and me, yes. I I when I can um, I, I'm, I was always very taken with the the voice of the Ents, which was uh, uh, again the same actor who did um, Gimli. I can't remember what his name is again. What, John Reese Davis. John Reese Davis yeah, yeah. um, did the voice of the trees. Of the trees. Very well. She speaks very like well. that. And if a tree <laughs> was to talk. It definitely would speak. They couldn't like get this. Tim Dalton ever, ever didn't they? Yeah, uh, he brains. would have been. Fuck it, brains, brains, brains. Brain. I can't brains. Mordor, Mordor. I'd like to see. That's the, he's the only one who could have done it better. Uh, well, there you go. There was a lot of, of great uh, performances in that. Uh, and again, great. That there was a lot of. Um, although there's a lot of roles in the Fellowship of the Ring, and a lot of them given to to British actors that weren't weren't necessarily international stars. Bernard Hill was amazing in amazing. that film. Um, and um, again, I've, um, my name's got my, my and, name. And of course, Australian, New Zealand actors as well who were not necessarily big at that time. Of course, yeah, David Wenham and uh, late Miranda Otto. Miranda Otto, late, yeah. And of course, Hugo Weaving, who everyone um, knew at that time. It's like, oh, it's Mr. It's, it's, it's Mr. Smith. Yes, it's Agent Smith from the Matrix, but doing also doing Agent now. Smith, but doing it a bit more venerably. Yes, a bit more, a bit more. <laughs> Everyone immortal. had to learn to talk like this. Didn't they? It was a, a, a yes. I suspect there's a lot of lessons being given out by Ian McKellen uh, and, Ian, and Ian Holm uh, throughout that. So um, yes, that we have a number four. Thank you for your tweets. We're getting a lot of love from. Um, 
Feathers and Wings. So we're Hello, sending a lot of love back to them. They uh, have approved of the um, choice of having chopped suey by a system of a down, saying that it's good to have a bit of metal with your lunch. So there you go. I wow. hope you are enjoying your lunch. They've also commented on Zoolander being a 2001 film. Was it really? I Again, I, I did not realise that. Um, and uh, there's another one called Pulse, a horror film, which I'm not familiar with. No, I'm not either. Um, oh, do you know, I'm not very uh, good on horror. Um, Beautiful Mind. Now, Beautiful Mind was a film that I was going to play some music from and talk a bit about, but of course... Well, you may not remember, but we were talking about the brain on our last show. Um, you were with, very low on with Dr. Mind, <laughs> with Dr. Alex Connor, and um, that was uh, about. We talked about it in that, and that's a. If you are listening um, uh, and you want to hear any more of our shows, which you really ought to, um, they are all available. If you go to the Brum Radio website and visit uh, uh, the Screen Brum page, you'll see all the Mixcloud ones. You can also go to iTunes or some other podcasts and download the podcasts and take those with you as well so have a look at that because we it's not always just tim and i um with our ill-informed opinions we we sometimes have guests with actually fully informed yeah they, they actually, we actually have some people who are experts yeah so we so when we did the the brain show we had a proper brain scientist in who told us basically everything that um the the, the films have told us about the and brain of course another wrong. film from 2001 hannibal got mentioned in that uh... was that another 2001 yes hannibal where, where there was some brains being consumed yuck um anyway so there we have our numbers uh, and we're halfway through the show so we better keep on with getting through them so now um we often sort of rejig these as we go along um i was i was working in a cafe yesterday trying to decide on my top five like some kind of um hipster drinking a latte whilst i did this and um this there was a film i was really taking in and out and trying to decide whether to use and this was um, a spy game Tony Scott thriller um, of the year with Robert Redford and Brad Pitt. Oh, yes. I'm not really quite sure why I liked it. Why did you like it, Jim? It was a, you know, I like a good spy thriller. Um, it was a very um, competent, you know, clearly put together well uh, spy thriller with great, great performance, particularly from Robert Redford, actually, in that. He's sort of understated. He plays. A, a kind of a mid-ranking CIA uh, operative who is running an agent, in Brad Pitt's agent. It's set in the the eighties and, and and through Vietnam and so forth. But um, it, it's about him trying to sort of rescue Brad Pitt from the clutches of a uh, um, uh, an, an enemy intelligence service um and yeah it, i just remember at the time thinking oh, this is like a great great spy thriller um it's it a lot of it felt you know very claustrophobic because we had it was a sort of cross constantly between brad pitt in in some sort of dingy prison somewhere and robert redford in this kind of slightly bland office just making phone calls and rushing around trying to to rescue him uh, in a very kind of um administrative way um and yeah that was that was it so that was uh, my choice uh, and then i sort of crossed it out and changed my mind and so forth but i'm gonna i'm gonna come back to that and say all right it's not a classic that everyone will remember for for decades but a very solid spy thriller spy game 2001 tony scott directed any uh, have you seen it tim yeah, I, I, you know, I have a soft spot for a lot of Tony Scott's films, um, even when they're at their. I can't think of the right word. 
not as good. Um, <laughs> overblown. Overblown. Too many fans and too many ripple, tipple light effects. You mm. know, he takes that. He takes that Ridley Scott um, fat, fan and glowing, and 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 uh, he likes Venetian blinds a lot. You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, he's always done that, and it's a, does the rock soundtrack. Yeah, I, a spy game. I remember seeing at the cinema, and enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, it was very watchable, and actually, was it was held up by a good script. It's amazing, like, like, like his brother Ridley, that a good Tony Scott film, a good Ridley Scott film, just depends on having a really good script. As long as you've got a really good script, they'll do the business. Yeah. Yeah. The problem, of course, now, particularly with Ridley Scott, is if he doesn't, then he really doesn't. Uh, and you get to... You know, but it was the same with Tony Scott, except mm. I think Tony Scott was kind of more mainstream than Ridley. Yeah. Ridley is a bit more arty. Uh, yeah. And Tony was much more mainstream. And this was... I um, certainly would not want anyone to think that I, I would guide Spy Game as high art in any way. It's certainly no ye mama tambien, but it is... Um, it's great. So there you go. Good. Blake has gone for a number three spy game and I'm going to play some music before we get Tim's and this is from another um, very cheer- chirpy and perhaps um, slightly iconoclastic film of 2001 um, it's A Knight's Tale which was the um, Heath Ledger starring medieval romp I think it's one of those films with the word romp was designed for um, with a very um, it had there was a scene in it I think where they were jousting and we will rock you. The crowd are singing. We will rock you, and so forth. Tim's pulling agonised facial expressions of not enjoying this film at all. But it I'm not asking you. It was it was entertaining, but so cheesy. Mm, so cheesy. It's got Paul Bettany in it, I think, as well. Yeah, hasn't Bettany's it? Plays, in it. Do you play? Um, he plays like um, Christopher Marlowe. Or no, I haven't seen it since 2001. Uh, yeah, Chaucer or something. I think he plays. Something really um, but anyway, um, let's uh, let's play some music from it. And this is not what you expect from a medieval romp. So I take you higher by Sly. I could quite happily listen to this all day, but um, we don't have all day, so I'm going to have to fade it out. I want to take you higher. That's Sly and the Family Stone from 2001's A Knight's Tale, uh, directed by we, we discovered by uh, Brian Helgeland, yes. um, who who'd written well many things, including the script of L.A. Confidential. So um, there was a lot of um, opportunity for that to to be good, um, although we're not sure that it actually was. There we go. That's just our opinion. What is your opinion? Tweet us. Let us know at Screen Brum. While you're at it, go to our website. Have a look and see um, all the other shows that we have. All the other shows that here are on Brum Radio. And if you like any of that stuff, visit the cl- the link at the top of the page, support, and you can pledge us some money. You may have noticed we don't have any adverts on this show. We've just got two hours of uninterrupted natter from us, um, which you may or may not regard as a good thing, but we also have some music. Um, but we do need uh, any help that we can get with uh, funding the sh- station. We're very grateful if you can provide it. So, yeah, if you are you know feeling generous... Why not uh, do that? And even not, you can always go and buy a T-shirt because our latest T-shirt to design is out and is rather ace, I'll have to say. There we go. Anyway, Tim, we are now into number three territory, I think. Yeah. Have we done number four territory? I've forgotten. We're on number three. No, number, you're number three territory. That's right. So uh, you said you were going to do TV, is that right? Yeah, and in the spirit of this show, events, events of this TV show occur in real time. Um, Damn it. Damn it. Yeah. Uh, the clues are there, for, everyone. For years, for years, my, my message SMS ringtone was the uh, CTU ringtone. You know, do, 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 do. Uh, anyway, you can tell I'm a fan. Uh, um, <laughs> if you haven't got what I'm on about right now, I'm, I'm talking about the first season of 24. 
also known as Day One, um, where uh, a plotline starts and ends at 12 a.m. On the day of the California presidential primary, That's and right. yeah, and, 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 and the, the, if you if you can remember and cast yourself back to two thousand and one, those of you who do remember, the film's main plot revolved around the assassination attempt on uh, the coolest, soon to be black president. See, it was very it was very ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. David Palmer, played by the brilliant Dennis Haysbert, yeah, a candidate for the Democratic Party presidential nomination. That's right, and um, and Jack Bauer. The legend that is Jack Bauer. Legend Bauer, that is Jack, Jack Bauer, Bauer. A sort of angry, permanently angry uh, CTU counterterrorism agent, former he? Delta Force operator mm. and director of the CTU. Yes, in Los in LA, he um, and, becomes, and taker of no nonsense. <laughs> becomes involved when his wife Terry Bauer and daughter Kim Bauer are kidnapped by the people behind the assassination plot. And the season was divided into two halves. Uh, ostensibly, the first half was actually kind of like the, the trial period for the show. And um, uh, the mercenary group's attempts to uh, control Bauer, you know, by kidnapping his wife and daughter. And then and an idea to force him to kill David Palmer. And, of course, the end of that particular plot arc goes to, goes to Jack rescuing the family in a helicopter scene and so on and so forth. The second half of the show... You've got a whole new group of assassins, and um, you get a bit of backstory. You get um, uh, uh, the, one of the worst um, amnesia plots in the history of TV. <laughs> yeah, um, but we don't. That doesn't matter too much. And you get Dennis Hopper with a with a European accent playing Victor Drazen. That's right. Yeah, I remember Victor Drazen. And, and of course, if you if you aren't and, aware and then, of this, and one of the big plot spoilers, and then the the, the whole twist at the end, yeah. which is a brilliant twist. It is it's, brilliant. It's, it's like so stonkingly good. And changed everything. But the other thing, of course, about it that was, was innovative uh, was this concept of it happening in real time. So each episode covered an hour and happened in real time and there was a split And time screen. for adverts as well. Time for adverts. Yeah, it was always when, you know, when he was going for a, you know, when he always went to the toilet during the advert breaks and had a sandwich was there. going to the car, the, the, yeah, found time, yeah, they found lots of time for breaks. Uh, and, and, and actually in the first series, to be fair, they very much tried to stick to this real time concept so there was whole episodes where uh, Dennis Haysbert character was basically in a car traveling from a place to another place latterly um, as the series progressed it got increasingly um, absurd and um, you know and, and, and times everything was always immediately next to each other and they could get to one place to another but in the first one they did really play on this kind of real-time element so you had a split screen which was another innovative thing where you could see simultaneously what was happening uh, in different locations because obviously it was all happening uh, as I say simultaneously so yeah it was uh, it was it was quite uh, it was groundbreaking groundbreaking and a lot of it again I think the biggest thing about it was you could get around a lot of the fallibilities of plot annoyances of certain characters not saying who I thought was annoying Um, but it was all down to how badass for want of a better word Kiefer Sullivan was as Jack Bauer yeah great casting it's such amazing he he personified that role and kept kept the series going for seven or eight seasons because of him being so good at it and um, you know I also I will say this in a time of Jason Bourne coming out in the following year Jack Bauer, all these characters with JB in the title, they did have a profound effect on the future direction of James Bond as well. I would say that 24 has a contributing factor to why 
Daniel Craig became Bond as well yeah. as Jason Bourne. It wasn't just Jason Bourne. So, so uh, you know, so I put, uh, I put Genesis in that. Too. Yeah, this is very true because he's, he's, as a spy, he's not, um, you know, he's not drinking cocktails and and wearing a dinner jacket. He's he's punching terrorists in the face um, and yeah. you know and shouting and getting dirty and generally. In the subsequent season, you know, and he chops the guy's hand off to get through uh, to get the fingerprints. Mm. He said, "We're going to need a hacksaw," <laughs> you know, and all that kind of I stuff. I mean, he got. I mean, it's so good. It, uh, yeah. Well, there's a lot. I mean, it became very problematic. It became very. You know, he relied a lot on on torture. There was one there was w- one series in which um, you know, one of the baddies was basically um, a, a member of Amnesty International or something like that because he was trying to to stop Jack Bauer, you know, torturing someone. And uh, Jack Bauer's way around this, as I recall, was to resign um, from the police or whatever it was, and to torture the um, the guy as a private citizen. <laughs> this was somehow this was somehow and then sort of went back two hours later into the into the. Into but of the, course, it's, it's it's Jack Bauer, so he can do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's it's very, very cartoony. Don't take it seriously. But as a kinetic, kind of propulsive thriller, it was wow, fantastic. That first series in particular, but I say the first three series. First series, like, series, even with even with um, you know Kim Bauer in the subsequent season getting kidnapped in that height of a nuclear explosion and uh, strange, yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, it, strange it, costume choices. For the sake of costume choices, and anyway, yeah. But uh, but yeah, an excellent choice. I think it's really good. So there we go. And I also Dennis Hayes, but everyone loved David Palmer. You know, the prototype Obama figure. Yes, yes, and he's he's been doing some interesting stuff ever since, isn't he? he was in was he in um, what was that film? That Todd Haynes film that he was in with uh, uh, Julianne Moore. Yes, yes. Now I'm suddenly some kind of wonderful or. Beautiful oh, or something like that, but yeah, fantastic, fantastic kind of button-down performance for him in that one subsequently. So there we are. That's Tim's number three. Tim has taken a unusual step of of moving away from the big screen to the small screen with uh, twenty four. There was always far intended from heaven. Far from heaven. That's right. I was thinking. That's all. That's yeah. the uh, the Dennis Haysbert star of a, of a couple of years later. Um, so there we are. There's our number threes. We're still interested to hear yours. Lots of interesting stuff coming through from you already, and some of you have agreed, and some of you have disagreed, and that's what it's all about. Daryl Davis, thank you for your tweet. You have. I, you appear to be defending a knight's tale, saying there's nothing wrong with a good bit of cheese, and we are, you know, we're not. That was a very cheesy bit of cheese. <laughs> it was a cheesy film, but you know, it was, it was, it was. A it film. was entertaining, but I don't know. Did it just annoy me at the time? I don't know what it was. Yeah, you didn't like um, Robbie Williams singing uh, Queen, did you? No, I didn't like Robbie Williams singing Queen. And the the what? Yeah, no, didn't like that. Let's move on. Let's move on. I'm going to play some more music from uh, singers that. Um, uh, someone who has duetted with Robbie Williams. There you go. Let's have a listen to this. Nicole Kidman. The French are glad to die for love. The subtle, understated tones there <laughs> from uh, that's uh, Sparkling Diamonds from Moulin Rouge, which came out. Baz Luhrmann's Moulin oh Rouge came goodness. out in 2001, and that's. Uh, um, was Jim Broadbent and Nicole Kidman amongst oh, yeah, others? Jim Broadbent singing that was an mm. interesting experience, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, it's it's got everything on that. It's, it's got, got a lot of stuff on that screen. So not one of one, not one of my top fives for the year, but uh, you know, um, a, a film that came out that year. So yeah. um, we're down to I guess we're down to number twos now. So if you have just joined us, what we're doing here is we're talking about the year two thousand and one. 
16 years ago and oh you know what happened you know mobile phones were had batteries that lasted for five days played snake a lot we played played snake a we lot i had color by then sorry we had color on phones oh well if you were posh i still had one of those old, old nokia's. chunky nokia's which uh, you know are making a big comeback now yeah but mobile phones back then were not and the internet well the internet thing it was it had reached i felt it had reached a certain point uh, by then in terms of film promotion that was when i seem to remember spending a lot of time it was finally able to watch film trailers online uh, maybe at work because you didn't have a fast access at home but you could um, you know sit there and spend a lot of time looking at things like behind the scenes videos and there was a lot of those produced for for lord of the rings as i recall i remember you know that film had a very long lead time it had about two or three years of production time because obviously they were making three big films simultaneously and i remember sort of watching everything as it unveiled itself online so it was a kind of it was a kind of um year zero uh, in my opinion for all of that kind of stuff the internet finally really becoming part of the way that films were promoted and things starting to be done specifically for online you know, films that have been produced and uh, clips that have been produced just for the online world, which was actually quite a new thing. You know, it seems it mm. seems hard to think about that now as you know as unusual, but it was. So there we go. Two thousand and one is our year, and we're running through top fives. And I think it's time for my number two. Is it not? Yes, it is. Far uh, away. And this one is a training day. Ooh. Antoine Fuqua's um, crime thriller. Denzel Washington and um, Ethan Hawke as a Denzel Washington as a, an, a he's chewing the the the, the scenery in this in the his curd, the fat the uh, everything absolutely absolutely it's like give me that Oscar finally please <laughs> yes and he did he did get an Oscar for this and it is a, 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 a mesmerizing performance the film is about um, the young rookie cop in the form of Ethan Hawke being uh, schooled, having his training day, being schooled, going out on the streets for the first time with a experienced, somewhat grizzled narcotics cop in the form of uh, Denzel Washington. And Denzel Washington absolutely steals everything about this. He is he is Machiavellian, he's scheming, he is, he is a creature of pure evil. He's absolutely terrifying from the moment... We meet him through Ethan Hawke comes and sits down in some diner and he's reading a paper uh, and, and they have a conversation. Everything he does, every moment is to throw Ethan Hawke off. And ev- all the way through on their training day, he is constantly doing unexpected things and throwing him into increasingly dangerous situations fantastic stuff there's actually a spin-off tv series which i've never seen because it didn't last long it starred bill paxton who obviously um died um tragically relatively recently so the council it was cancelled i don't know if it was ever actually shown but um a fantastic and and uh, in my opinion denzel washington's never been better and certainly Antoine Fuqua's never been better um he's made a lot of films with um with denzel washington since and um uh, and, and none of them have hit anything like these heart, uh, heights, particularly um, sour memories of watching The Equalizer that they made together, which I think is being made into a sequel, but The, the Equalizer is just dreadful. Um, but, of course, it has Denzel Washington in therefore it's got lots of redeeming features. Um, but there we are. My, uh, It's possibly quite an obvious choice, but it is a film in that year that shone through cynical, dark, nasty... 
Um, but with this this powerhouse of a central performance from you know the absolutely peerless Denzel Washington, um, and, and, and very much against type as well. Denzel Washington is is often seen as a kind of you know a very much a kind of a good figure, a kind of you know a, a sort of heroic everyman, um, or, or perhaps more than an everyman, you know. Um, but he is in this. He plays, you know, dark and sinister. He deserved his Oscar for this. Because everything he does, every single every single no, nuance of that performance is it's just like power. It's yeah. like he is that character. He is Alonzo. It's like, wow. He's like, you know, a, he's he's like a, a force of nature. He's, yeah. he's you know, just, just a man of supreme self-confidence that wants to uh, get his way and will absolutely have no compunction uh, about stopping anything anything stopping him so yeah fantastic performance do you do you approve then of that as my number two tim i approve of denzel washington's performance and i think ethan hawke is a really good foil to that as mm. well i think he's uh, he, he doesn't get enough mention he's very very good as well yeah because um, you he, he isn't as young as you perhaps would imagine you know when you think about the, you know, the whole concept of training day and him being a rookie cop you know you could have had a very some established actor by that yeah time. you could have had some very sort of callow you know, twenty-year-old that's kind of very wide-eyed, and instead we've got him. You know, when he is kind of faced with the kind of moral degradation of, of Denzel Washington's character, you know, he 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 understands it. He he kind of is is horrified by it, as the audience is. It's not that he's incredibly naive, but he still gets swept up in this whole increasingly kind of spiraling day of, of a nightmare so yeah i mean fantastic lots of great scenes in a car as well and denzel watching I, I keep referring to this but you know if you watch that film um you will not sleep all that well because he is he is a nightmarish figure isn't he? he's just so brilliant it's interesting we were just talking about tony scott and he was to go on and be a man on fire it's mm. like that the, the tony scott took a took a certain aspect of his character in that film brought it into Man of Fire yeah. as well. And then the Equalizer subsequently. There there have been films since which have evidently loved that evil side of Denzel Washington and brought it on into other films and not in, in with with diminishing results oh, one likely. Yeah, I would say. Um but again you go and watch it because it's Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. Um even when he's doing in the films that don't serve his his genius as well. Um but yeah. But it it's fully uh, showcased on that one. So my number two for the year 2001 is Antoine Fuqua directed Training Day. Watch it for Denzel Washington, if nothing, nothing else. else. If I haven't made it quite clear, I quite like his performance in this film. I like his performance in almost every film. But in this one in particular, which is, as we say, is his Oscar winner, um, it's fantastic. Tim, you know, he's got a facial expression here, which is very hard to to understand. That's not a response to you. It's about response to my where I'm going next. So are you ready are you ready, or do you want a musical interlude? I'm ready. Okay, so tell us, Tim's number two film. Now, you know, if people know me, you'll think, isn't this going to be your number one film of 2001? Um, it's my number two. Um, and my number two film of 2001 is Mulholland. Legally Blonde. Oh, what, sorry, go on. Legally Blonde, yeah. <laughs> so go is, on. Is uh, Fast and Furious. No, Mul- Mulholland... <laughs> uh, uh, Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive, of course it is. Of course it is. Tell us a little bit about it. Oh, my goodness. Um... I think Pete Travers, Rolling Stone magazine, I, I don't often quote other people, but he said, you can discover a lot about yourself by getting lost in Mulholland Drive. It grips you like a dream that won't let go. Another one is uh, Neil Minow from Common Sense Movies. If you like movies that make sense, Mulholland Drive isn't for you. Um, 
So, uh, a little plot spoiler for those who haven't seen it. So, um, this is not easy to do a plot spoiler for this No, film. it isn't. It's not easy to do a plot description, really. Uh, not really. Um, it's a Lynch universe. Oh, it's a Lynch satire on, on, on Hollywood and L.A. and a Lynch... Uh, oh, my God. Okay, let's just do this. I'll tell you so, what. I'll tell you what. I'll give you an idea. I'll play a clip. Okay, you've got a clip. Okay, now this is Good something man. that will give you an idea of the type of thing we're coming from. It doesn't quite do it justice. Go and see if you can find this. If you haven't seen it on YouTube, this clip, because the this is a, a scene where... Um, Bill Pullman's character meets a mystery man who is absolutely terrifying looking and I have to admit that when I saw this clip I thought I'm never going to watch this film because it scares me too much so just give you that little warning we've met before haven't we I don't think so where was it you think we met at your house don't you remember No, no, I don't. Are you sure? Of course. As a matter of fact, I'm there right now. What do you mean you're where right now? At your house. Pleasure talking to you. So yeah, giving you an idea of the kind of thing. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a stab at this. So anyone that is a fan of David Lynch will know that many of his films deal with the idea of identity. He messes with people's ideas of where you are in time and space and in reality. Are the characters that you're watching actually the characters that they are? Are they actually two characters at once? Um, he. Uh, he, he, if you look at films like Lost Highway and actually look at a film, another film called uh, Inland Empire, what he's doing is messing with your sense of time and space and where you are, the present, the afterlife, things going forwards, things going backwards, uh, freakish ideas of 
um, reality and in reality. It's very Lynchian. These worlds just meld and, and mess with you. And what he's also doing is having a, having a poke at fun at Hollywood, at uh, filmmaking, at the filmmaking process, um, and doing it in such a way that you, as, a, as, a, as an audience viewer, are going to be left feeling very confused and very entertained at the same time, maybe even scared, because he does like to throw in a lot of scary imagery. Um, and that's why I love the film, because it evokes a sense of um, close-up tragedy, um, technical fluency, and um, also the idea of um, lacing an idea of a love story with sheer amounts of cruelty. Um <laughs> Um, I can't get to grips with it on a third viewing or a fourth viewing in terms of what's going on. Um, and also, I, I, I don't attempt to. Um, I think that what, I, what I'm just trying to say is, if you want an idea of the ultimate, I think, idea of delirium and, and sort of master, mastery of David Lynch, this film, I think, personifies it as well as any of them. Um, a lot, everyone will have their opinion on whether it's this or it's Lost, em- Lost Highway or whether it's Inland Empire or whether it's the recent series of Twin Peaks, season mm. three. I think, you know, I'm just trying to say that he, he does mess with the idea of time and scape and identity and who you're watching is, is who they are and who it isn't and... Um, and you know, I love all of that. All the usual twa- traits are there. You've got a, a, ja- a sort of a cool Bad- Angela Badalamenti score. You've got dwarves. You've got backward scenes. You've got otherworldly stuff. Um, it's sexy. It's scary. It's a very good film. I see. I didn't do a plot. I didn't try and do a plot thing there. It's just very difficult. It, to do it's it. one of those films. I think that it's about how you, how it makes you feel you can almost disconnect this kind of sense of it's a series of, of kind of in incidents and images that create a set, an overall atmosphere rather than a, a and story. And even though you're scared you have a smile on your face because it's very funny at times mm. as well. It's, it's that he rides that line between darkly comic and shocking all the time in everything he does. There's, a, there's always a wink and a nudge in David Lynch you know, you know I, I always tell you he's watching it there's a kind of a smile on his face internally so I always think about Lynch he's, he's just playing with you the whole time he's it, never giving you satisfaction as an audience in terms of plot you know uh, well he then, messes with you all the time that's what I think and I love that if you like being messed with then please do <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd like Enjoy. to be you know yeah being messed with in a cinematic way is, is perfect for yeah. this David Lynch yeah. well then that case tune in to, uh, to, to to watch Mulholland Drive. So I just got distracted there. We well, got a razor head. Yeah, exactly. Being mentioned by um, Feathers and Wings, which is of course His another film. He's mentioned. It. I Lynch think in. he's mentioned this before when we've talked about Lynch. Yeah, mm. the razor head. Exactly. It's 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 just it's, it's what Lynch is all about. Mm. Well, let's um, let's um, let's go from one extreme <laughs> to the other uh, and play tunes from uh, another classic film of 2001 uh, I mentioned it earlier I make no apologies it's uh, from Legally Blonde my instructor was Mr. Langley and he taught me to sing a song if you'd like to hear it I can sing it for you yes I'd like to hear it now Take it for me. It's called Daisy. 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 Give me your answer, do. I'm 
That's creeping you out there. That was the HAL 9000 singing Daisy Daisy from the film of 2001. Obviously, that came out in 1968, not 2001, but you know, it's close enough. And uh, prior to that, we played you um, One Girl Revolution by Super Chick. And that is from the Legally Blonde soundtrack. And very good, it is too. Um, And um, whilst uh, we are talking generally about film, which is what we do, I wanted to mention one other thing. If you are from the West Midlands region and you are a film fan, um, you want to listen to us. But also, you do want to subscribe to um, FilmWire, Flatpak's regular email update that comes out once a month um, and I know they're having a bit of an overhaul at the moment so my suggestion too is really to, to go it's a free thing you can just subscribe to but if you go to uh, the flat pack if you search for flat pack which is the the film um, uh, well the film society here in, in Birmingham perhaps you want to call it they do amazing amount of brilliant stuff and they collate a uh, email once a month which has got loads of interesting stuff about stuff that's going on it's not just Film showings also include jobs and um, filmic happenings and events um, and premieres and all that kind of stuff. So if you are interested in film, film is your thing uh, and you are in the West Midlands, you're a lucky person because that is something I would strongly recommend you get yourself onto. So there you go. Uh, you subscribe to Tim. If you're not, you really should do. I am. Good. And good. Where we are. Um, all good people are. Um, right. And that was... Uh, and you're good people too. Just subscribe. <laughs> thank you. We all that was are. My, that, was my, that was my qualification. There. So we're going to be um, going through our number ones of year now. We are doing the year 2001 here on the Screen Brum Show. And we are reaching the last... Uh, 20 minutes of the program, and um, we've got time to talk about our number one. We don't really do this in necessarily in order um, of, of brilliance, um, but I think this one possibly may be my, my number one of the year, if not uh, Yin Mama Tambien. Um, and the film in question is In the Bedroom, Todd Field film. Uh, I'm getting nods, so I know that Tim is familiar with it. Top Field, field interestingly, is, I think it was his first direction. I think he's only filmed, he's only directed one film since then, which is a, um, a film, Little Children. And this one was between these these two films, he's had eight, I think, eight Oscar nominations. Um, the film is uh, stars Tom Wilkinson, Sissy Spacek, Nick Stahl, and Marissa Tomei, um, and and the story essentially revolves around. Uh, Tom Wilkinson and Sissy Spacek, a happily middle-aged, happily married middle-aged couple uh, in New England, I think it is in, in the United States, with their son Nick, who is uh, sort of the character Nick, sorry, the played by Nick Stahl, their son, who is going to who studying to be an architect and having a relationship with an older woman, Marissa Tomei, um, and then there's some tension with her ex-husband, um, which reaches a. a, a bit of a climax sort of in the middle of the film um, and it, it's a portrait of family it's a portrait of relationships 
and it's 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 it's, it's pretty um, surprising twist in it. I can't really give you any more without giving too much away, but it, it does go in places you don't expect at times you don't expect. But the thing that I think that really really um, elevates it is the performance of of Tom Wilkinson and Sissy yes. Spacek as a married couple have been together a long time they're happy and they have to contend with uh, a tragedy and there is a sequence uh, probably about three quarters of the way through the film where they have an argument that is one of the best married couple arguments I've ever seen on film because it's incredibly difficult to watch you know these are two people that love each other but are also doing what they can to hurt each other with words during this argument and it's not screaming and throwing things it's not over the top like that they're speaking in you know in, in slightly raised voices and they're and the, but it's the barb nature of it the way in which they use their knowledge their deep intimate knowledge of each other to sort of stick the knife in oh, it's, it is, is, is a, it's a really painful process really to watch but it's also a process of catharsis anyone who has had an argument with their other half will know it's not necessarily always you know a negative thing it can be a way of airing things and, and, and going forward together and, and understanding each other's emotions and, and it does lead to that it is it's not just a sort of sort of you know uh, a kind of horrible process where we're watching this this marriage in 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 trouble it isn't like that it is um a really powerful performance of a marriage and just uh, neither of them i think uh have turned in better performances fantastic between them all, all the main characters are great in this film it's quite slow moving it's it's quite um, almost poetic in the way that it's shot, but it has this, as I say, this central performance, this central relationship that is is fantastic. And and you know, it's it's nice to see you know a couple that have been together for a long time who love each other and you know still care about each other, being able to kind of uh, express themselves in in this kind of very powerful way um, and and having to deal with something you know awful that happens uh, in their lives. So. That is my number one choice for the year 2001, Todd Field's In the Bedroom. In the Bedroom refers to, um, just so you know, it's not um, you know, it's not a, a sexual reference. It's to do with a uh, lobster pot. Apparently when you have a, uh, when you're tra- trapping lo- lobsters in a lobster pot, I think there's a part called the bedroom which they get trapped in. And if you have two lobsters in there, that's fine. But if three lobsters get into the bedroom they fight uh, and uh, and there can be uh, tragic consequences for a lobster uh, which gives you a slight clue as to what's going on but fantastic film now number one choice if you haven't seen it look it up um you know be prepared for that uh, argument in the middle but it is absolutely captivating absolutely fantastic she's, she's, basic, man. Mm. she's great she owns that film in fact, um, Tom Wilkinson, amazing. Marissa Tomei is amazing as well. They're all great. It's yeah. a great cast. It's an ensemble piece. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There's William Poother as well, as, as, who plays Marissa oh. Tomei's estranged husband, who's also great in it, but, uh, but very so, yes, kind Yes, of... I do remember the film. Mm. It, it got very well respected award nominations. Mm. I remember seeing it at the cinema. And uh, that team, uh, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't thinking about marriage or anything. It just, that's a hard scene. Mm. It's so it feels real because it does feel real, doesn't it? Because it's it's you know when you, so often when you see you know couples arguing and there's you know someone's throwing something at the wall and saying how could you do this? It doesn't feel like these are people that know each other and have known each other for a long time. But this is a couple 
um, who are having to face something awful in their marriage um, after being together and know each other intimately. And that is how people really are. You know, I don't think people do all that screaming and shouting. But if someone's angry with you, you, you know, you, they don't need to, um, you know, to swear and scream at you for, the, for them to know if you've known them for 20 years, in my opinion. Hello, darling, choice. if you're listening. That's a great choice. Yeah, I like it because it's not what I expected. And I'd forgotten that that film came out in 2001. Yeah, yeah. I've completely forgotten. It's, um, yeah, it... It, 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 it has it, a timeless quality to it, because it's, it's a period, because it's a, quite an ensemble cast mm. kind of piece, you know. It's not really talked about much these days, I don't think. I've no. not really heard too much, you know, and I say I've not heard too much more from Todd Field. I don't know if there's a story behind the fact that uh, he's not made many more films, one, just one other film uh, since yeah. then, I think from about 2006. Um, but I don't know if there's a story behind that or if it wasn't successful or anything, but it was certainly successful in my opinion, um, and that's the only opinion that matters. Um, and now we are coming close to the end of the show, so we have time for Tim. Mr. Tim Wilson, a film reviewer extraordinaire, to reveal the high point of the year 2001 as far as he's concerned. Well, uh, it's a high point. It's just, um, you know, there you go. There's qualification. No, it's a high point. <laughs> but it's a film that I love, and, um, you know, for all of its incredibly saccharinish nature, uh, you know, you have to have a very sweet tooth to take it. Uh, I do, so it's fine. Um, this is uh, Jean-Pierre, Jean-Pierre Jeunet's uh, 2001 film, Amelie. Uh, I, mm, we played the music earlier. Yeah, because it, it must have been leading there if you played the music, right? I knew, um, I knew you would choose that. Um, Jean-Pierre Jeunet is, is, one of my, is a director I love. I, I kind of going all the way back, you know, I'm a huge fan of Delicatessen. I'm, um, I even like um, Very Long Engagement as a follow-up to this, you know, it's very very strong, powerful war, war piece. But he, what he does is he creates whimsical worlds, right? Mm. And he's an absolute... Um, he's a fan of whimsy. He's a fan of lavish. And he's a fan of romantic. He's a fan of idealism, too. This is a very idealistic portrayal of Paris, supposedly set in modern-day, sort of late 90s, early... Uh, set around the time of Princess Diana's death. But it's all, it's all kind of uh, accordions you, and you berets. Could, you, could, and you might as well set it in 1940s Paris, yeah. frankly. You know, it's, it evokes it's a It's a fairy tale, isn't it? It's a fairy tale. Mm. And at the heart of the story is, this, um, is the delectable Audrey Tattoo. Um, at the time, you know, an unknown... Um, she's a waitress in a Montmartre cafe called Le Doux Moulin, the two windmills. Um, it's funny you weren't playing Moulin Rouge earlier, because I was thinking, you know, the universe that Baz Luhrmann was trying to create, this campy universe of Paris that he was trying to create. And Jean-Pierre does it, Jean-Pierre Jeunet does it, um, but with far more intelligence, I think. Mm. Um, hide under the window, hide under the table. Um, and why basically... One day, in her, she's in her apartment and she stumbles upon um, a box of toys uh, b- uh, belonging to a lonely grandfather, and uh, she she has this, she she puts it upon upon herself to try and return these toys or these treasures to her to the owner. And uh, along the way, she she falls in she she gets interrupted by a, a shock, which is of love, and falling in love with this um, stranger played by. Uh, Matthew Kasovitz, who at that time had made the film La N. Um, mm. It's an amazing film. It is. Um, it's pretty hard going. That's a hard going film. It's pretty much the opposite. And of the this. idea is it, it's a fantasy of modern Paris, and it's a series of it's a series of minuets and anecdotes and cutesy music and and happiness and and light. Some people have accused this film of being fascist because it it portrays this idealistic notion of. Um, 
of Paris and it's extremist and it's thing. You know, this is not how Paris is. You know, you're portraying a, it's all white and light and mm. there's no dark and there's no bonlier of Paris. There's no, there's hardly any black people. People have noticed that and said, well, ja, you know, Jamal Debouze is in it, you know, and he's a Moroccan French. Um, you know, so, you know, there is, it is a form for light and witty romance, but the ideas of poverty and racism are not there in the film. But that's not the point. The film is about two hours of, of fairy tale nature and, and of falling for this character and her pursuit and these kind of whimsical, magical things that happen to her. Um, it is incredibly saccharine, you know, and I know people who do not like this film at all, who can't handle its, uh, its, uh, its fairy tale nature, but I fell in love with it and um, it still do. And in fact, I have a, I have a, a poster of Amelie, of, of Audrey Tattoo, um, a, ja- a Japanese print of Amelie sitting on my wall in my house so that's, that's that shows how much I like the film right? <laughs> um, I mean in, in a year that 2001 was where you know not a lot of great things happened in the world this came uh, out after 9-11 mm, as well it was, it was you know it was in a world which suddenly seemed very much filled with darkness and fear it was very much you know a world presented as, as hugely positive warm and fluffy um, maybe that was part of the reason why there was a bit of a backlash about it at there was the time. a lot of backlash mm. about this film because of its portrayal of Paris and because it, it, it cuts out large swathes of what Paris is really like mm. but I think you have to oh, you have, that's not what Journey's creating here yeah. You're not. we're not going for that world exactly. it's, it's, like, really... it's like Notting Hill doesn't represent modern Britain precisely, uh, yeah, uh, precisely. That's not a portrayal, accurate portrayal of what London's like, mm. is it? You know, Woody Allen's portrayal of London and Wimbledon is not really what London is like. You know, uh... yeah, there are many stories in cities. Yeah, exactly. Um, an excellent, an excellent number one choice. I'm so glad that it got selected. That is Amelie, directed by uh, Jean-Paul Junet. Is that right? Jean-Pierre. Jean-Pierre. Sorry, Junet from 2001, uh, and a marvelous. And we played some music from. It earlier, so I'm going to play some some music from a, a different film at the moment. Another another film that um, came out in the year and was not great, but had some great tracks was uh, Rockstar, uh, and this is from it. It's uh, Karma Chameleon by Culture Club. I like a proper DJ. Now uh, Friday in a, in a in musical form, Karma Chameleon uh, by. Uh, a culture club, of course, from the film Rockstar. Now, we've only got a few minutes left of the show, and we're really grateful for all of you for tuning in. Do stay tuned to Brum Radio today. We've got some fantastic programmes coming up. Friday really is um, one of our highlights of the week here on Brum Radio. Um, but uh, we have got our um, any honourable mentions that we may have left from the year 2001. We really appreciate all of your comments. Thank you, Feathers and Wings. Thank you for listening in. Um, so um, let me know if you think of it, what you, any more of these you think of, because there's some, there's some great ones we haven't mentioned. Spirited Away, the anime. Yeah, that was in my list of, uh, that was that was in my, my list of five uh, of, uh, until about 12 o'clock. One that, I expected, <laughs> one that I expected you to say was Memento. Memento is in my honourable mentions uh, list. So that was the... Um, you know, real kind of um, Christopher Nolan's calling card it really to is, the world, yeah. and, and to my mind, I think it's still maybe Dunkirk is I love, but um, I think it might be his best film. I think there's a thing here. We you know we're, we're not setting ourselves too many pre-imposed rules, but we try and avoid repeating. I mean, I think more Holland Drive could have been omitted because I've repeated it and mentioned it so many times before. It's sometimes you want to not you want to give a fresh five, don't you? Yeah. I, I would. That's why Memento stayed off. 
Um, Kissing Jessica Stein was another a lovely rom-com yeah. from that year. Um, I watched the, the trailer um, yesterday while I was preparing for this, and it had John Hamm in it. Yeah. Um, pre-fame, pre-Mad Men, um, looking pretty much the same. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's a great that's a great um, one with a really sort of decent kind of gay relationship at its core that is um, that is refreshing and certainly mm-hmm. for the time yeah. um, for a mainstream film we hadn't seen. Um, and another one. That I'm slightly surprised you didn't mention. Thought might be your, be your street was Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko, you're gonna be yeah. Donnie Darko, um, you know what? I, yeah, I didn't mention it. There no. you go. Um, other, you, you're probably surprised I didn't mention the Devil's Backbone. Yes, I am. Uh, you're probably surprised I didn't mention. I would have chosen that because I assumed you did. And of oh, course, yeah. TV's pop stars as well. Yeah, Sorry, cool. TV's pop stars came out like yeah, it's very important. Yeah, and uh, Hanukkah's the piano teacher. Isabel Huppert is just staggeringly frightening in it. There's, there's films of uh, mutilation in that film that make Antichrist look mild um, by by comparison. <laughs> That's a lovely. Thought. I won't say I won't say what kind of mutilation, but I'll let you. Yeah, please don't. It. Gladiator. What? Where? Yeah, exactly. Everyone loves Gladiator. Come on, we all love Gladiator, don't, don't we? No. You don't. No. Don't know. Don't really like it. Sorry. That's okay. all I'm going to say. Oliver Reed's good in it. Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed's great in it. Even when he's a CGI character, he's great in it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this was the year of franchises, Ocean's Eleven, Fast and the Furious, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter, I mean, God. Well, my one... All right, I mean, I mean, I think that Harry Potter really began at Prisoner of Azkaban. I'll, I'll cut the well, first two out. Well, no, I, I felt, I was going to, my number one rather pompously originally was going to be the genre, whole genre of fantasy movies, because it was the year that we had The Fellowship of the Ring and the Harry Potter, and those were both, the, the kick-starting these, these, you know, absolute juggernaut uh, you know franchises that have gone on and, and remain you know being recycled to this day and that we are still getting the echoes of them now and they're still making you know Harry Potter spin-off films now um, and it was it was really the first time since Star Wars you had that huge mainstream because they had obviously both had built-in audiences from the books yeah that they had that whole you know this is a start of something of a genre that, that sorry of a series that's not going to finish uh, at the end of each show and we can we can build on it it was a you know it was it was a huge year, fantasy cinema. Um, there's still so many more I've missed. Um, uh, the, the Brass Eye uh, Episode 7 special, shall we call it? Um, which which one was, was that one? That was, that was the controversial one. I'm not even going to say the word. Um, but it was... it was, uh, was Noel Edmonds? And, no, no was that it? wasn't Noel Edmonds. No, no it was a different... It? Anyway, I'm moving on. But Bill Collins. You can always look up uh, more of those things. The, um, uh, the Coen Brothers man who wasn't there. Billy Bob Thornton, genius in that film. Um, Sexy Beast, Jonathan Sexy Rangers. Beast? No, that was not... That was 2000. Because really? I was, I would uh, definitely I, have had is that. Is the reason why I said Sex Beast because it came out and it might have come out in the states? Because uh, that would definitely have been my choice. It's so amazing. I didn't see it at the cinema. Okay, it is two thousand. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for correcting me. That will get edited out, won't it? <laughs> um, Ghost World came out in two thousand and one. Yes, Daryl Davis um, has, has tweeted us to say yeah, that's one of his favourites. Excellent film. Uh, yeah, great. Um, I have a soft spot for Osmosis Jones. I don't know why I have a soft spot for is that. Is that a film? Disney? animation or some sort of animation yeah um so that's yeah um it's kind of a live action animated adventure it's about white blood cells and the race against it's like a insect inside a body and bill and bill murray's in it in In it so therefore it's fine lawrence fishburne yeah uh what else um uh dogtown oh yeah Enigma, um, first mm. season of Band of Brothers, um, yeah. uh, Trailer Park Boys. I have a soft spot for that comedy. I really do. I find it it's very dry. But you have to get you have to get it. You know, 
If you're um, a TV fan, it was the um, Feathers and Wings has tweeted to say that it was the first time The Exorcist was shown on UK TV, and also um, Clockwork Orange was shown on TV. Yeah, it came out that for year. The first time. Did it? Was it this year? Or was it year before? Because I, I I remember going check this out for a heavy day, and I was at university. I went in the morning to I saw I saw the Green Mile. Yeah. Then I went off. Um, I went. This was two thousand. Yeah. I went off to have some lunch, and then I went back to watch Clockwork Orange in the afternoon. <laughs> Green Mile and Clockwork Orange in one day. And then I never slept. I didn't for have two any days. Le- it was a Friday. You didn't have lectures on Friday, so you can go to the cinema. That's fine. It was different in those days. Different in those days. Blue Planet documentary series was first season was then. Yeah. Gosh, that's a long time ago. Yeah. And and it, it, always at this time, you think this was the time of, as I was saying to you, this is the time of Six Feet Under, The Sopranos, The West Wing. Curb your enthusiasm, Buffy. It was when the, the golden age began, happening. really, wasn't it? it was, this was mm. this was golden age of. T- I mean, it's golden age of TV now. You know, we think but it was the started off. HB- the HBO mentality mm. was there, mm. kicking alive and well, yeah. even back then. Um, we we do not have no, any more time. Um, we have come to the end of the year two thousand and one. We have a little over, so apologies for that. Um, but we're really grateful for all of you for listening. Um, I'm really grateful for all of your tweets, all of your contributions. Thank you so much for that, and do keep them coming. We'd love to hear from you. Do stay tuned to Brum Radio there's plenty more to come from us um, Mr Tim Wilson thank you very much thank you it was fun um, Mr Paul Hadsley here in the studio he's just he is he's nodding. nodding he is nodding and we'll sign out with a, a second track uh, in honour of Tim's film of the year another track from uh, Amelie this is uh, Jan Tiersen the, uh, the composer of that and this track is uh, Le Jour Trieste goodbye and have a great weekend bye Thanks for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please consider joining our listener supporters. You can do this by clicking the support tab on our website or go direct to Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio. Brum Radio shows are streamed online at the Brum Radio Mixcloud page and you can find more podcasts at brumradio.com.